The universe is ending. The sky is falling and all that you know and love will soon evaporate into thin air. Sorry about that, but never fear. In the next nondescript number of minutes, we'll be talking about the most important thing that a person could hear when the universe is ending. Books. Welcome to the podcast at the end of the universe. Hello, Hello, everybody. We are back once again. We uh, dropped out of the time vortex to bring you more tales of the books that we are reading. Yay! So, as always, I am Slotty Bartfast. I am Millie. And I am Way. And they are actually two different people. <laughs> we are. I'm, I'm a real boy. So, um, because we got some feedback on the forums about not being able to tell the difference between me, Millie, and me, Way, I've decided to try and up my octave... A little bit, maybe. I'm going to try really hard not to laugh every time she does it. So I apologize if this is too cheerleader-ish and you want me to get real low. You just leave us some feedback. We do read it, I swear. <laughs> and we're trying to make it easier on everybody. Uh, but it, it is our natural voices. <laughs> it we, really is. And, and we're very different people, so it's kind of funny well, that we sound... Well, okay. We're not that different. True. <laughs> We're a bonded pair. <laughs> Are you my infection? Probably. <laughs> okay, so let's introduce the two books that we're going to be discussing this month. So, first of all, uh, for our space sci-fi, this month we are reading The Long Way to a Small Angry Planet by uh, Becky Chambers. So, this is her first book. Uh, she first released it in 2014 after a Kickstarter campaign, so that was a really interesting way to release a book. Um, and um, you can maybe see it in the book a bit, but it had a major release uh, August last year by a major publisher after it got picked up. And it's the story of a small construction ship, pretty much, that builds wormholes to allow big important ships to go fancy places. And it's just about the crew of the ship. So what you're telling me is it's a constructor fleet building bypasses? <laughs> it is. <laughs> I love it so much. And they probably need to submit everything in triplicate. <laughs> Come on, Earth. It's only 3,000 light years away. <laughs> and the second book that we're going to be talking about this month is... Mm, Broken the Monsters. Of this thing Broken again? It's Mon Urban Fantasy. Yeah. Yeah. Broken Monsters by Lauren Bucus. It rhymes with mucus. It does. You can't go up a register. You just stop <sighs> it. Am I going to have to separate you two? Maybe. <laughs> I can't. Oh, my goodness. So, uh, just like uh, Long Way to a Small Angry Planet, this book was also released in 2014. Uh, and it's actually the fourth full-length novel from Miss Bucus. Um, and is the second of her books not to be set in South Africa. She is a South African writer, and most of her books do resolve, or and her stories resolve around various incarnations of South Africa, but this, uh, this one does not. So, let's jump right in. So I want to start with A Long Way to a Small Eerie Planet. Um, just simply because I are a small angry planet. I mean, yeah, I am a small, angry planet that fits on this time-traveling ship. What? No, I'm not a planet, although I would like to catch you on my gravitational force. Oh, we will not be tidally locked, though. <sighs> okay, so let's talk about the book a little bit. So, um, I 
love, this is, so, okay, because last month we had these books that I had pretty serious problems with for sexism and racism and whitewashing and all kinds of awful things. Um, this was such a refreshing book. There's a really racially diverse cast. Um, all of the characters are totally different. There's no like, this person isn't a cookie cutter of a human female. This person isn't the small green man with the big dark eyes who comes and haunts Whitley Stryber. Um, those were not the things that were in this book. Uh, and I loved every part of it. I loved that there was gender diversity, not necessarily even in the crew. I mean, there was, mm -hmm. but just some characters had gender diversity, yep. which I thought was really awesome. So while we're talking about characters, so the it opens up with Rosemary, who I want to say is the protagonist, but all of the characters are mm -hmm. kind of the protagonist. Like, it doesn't focus on one more than the mm -hmm. other. The only exception to that being the navigator who you don't really hear about um, throughout most of the book. Yeah, so Rosemary is just like the introduction. She's the... The, the, the gateway drug. The, the, the icebreaker of the book. So she sets it up, and yeah, you think that it's going to be her story, mm -hmm. and it, it pretty much straight away segues off into different paths, which yeah. I, I thought was really good. You know, you didn't lose her story. It's still there, but you got all these other stories at the same time. And all of the characters pass all three of my feminist tests. They all pass the Bechdel test. They very rarely talk about men, actually. Mm -hmm. um, they all pass the Mako Mori test. They all have their own individual character arcs without... Um, uh, just being there to support a male character, and uh, none of them could have been replaced by a lampshade, which I really enjoy. Um, we had had some feedback about people not knowing what the Mega Mori test was, um, as most people knew what the Bechtel test was, and the lampshade test was actually designed for comic books, but uh, it, I find it applicable in others as well. Um, yes, and Slardy and I actually had a... Uh meeting of the minds on this very topic because back when we were reading Nexus, I had said, hey, some of us could use a uh, little reminder of what OS is or what some of this techno jargon is, but uh, then, oh no, no, you just jump right on in and you, you figure it out, but then I go use a feminist term that maybe some other people aren't so familiar with. And, whoa, whoa, pump the brakes there. So uh, we, uh, we understand each other now. We're going to yeah. gladly supply some uh, explanation, make sure everybody's on the same page. So as we zip through time and books, nobody gets left behind. Uh, so we have Rosemary, who's the new ship clerk. Um, she's we, a Martian. She is a Martian, but she's Earth... She's a human. Um, she's the only solar member of the crew. She's the only one who's from the solar system. Um, no. Yes. From the solar system proper. Yeah, everyone else is exodent mm. because uh, while... Um, oh, got Kizzy. No. Kizzy. Kizzy has family on Mars, but she speaks specifically mm -hmm. about being an exodent. Yeah. Actually, Jenks. Oh, that's right. Yeah. That's go, totally right. We won't go into further, but Jenks is that's definitely... That's right. That's totally right. Solar. Okay, you're right. So okay, actually so. half the crew uh, have their... The, the humans mostly do. Uh, it's it's really Ashby who see... Accident. Accident. Yes, he's so, the only one who identifies as that. Which right. is so cool, because I could see that really happening on Earth. Yeah, that we destroy the planet so much that we have to leave. And the rich <laughs> people go to Mars and the rest of us get stuck on... 
Breeds? Yeah, that sounds the, about the right. awesome thing is that the humans are in no position of power in this universe. No, no. absolutely. They're refugee status in the Galactic Commons. I think that that's pretty accurate. Yep, I think so too. Um, I mean, so this could also be like a sunny outlook on how where the humans would stand <laughs> because, you know, I could see us being just labor. <laughs> so we have uh, Rosemary, who's mm-hmm. the new clerk. Yep. And then we have Ashby, who's mm-hmm. our accident captain. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have Jenks, who's the comp tech, and also a little person, which I really liked that. Um, I like that Rosemary immediately thinks that he's like a gene tweak, that he's been mutated. He's did not done that to himself. Yeah. Um, and then this was t- on purpose. This yeah. was not organic. Right. Yeah. And then it turns out that it was, you know, organic. like, yeah, which I think is really cool. Um, and I then think it was that, also a choice of his yeah. not to tweak. Yep. Um, I really liked that bit. I feel like of all the things we talk a lot about, inclusion of women, inclusion of people of color, we don't really talk about inclusion of handicap. Um, or Ability. genetic genetic difference. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't really talk about that, but he is 100% a full member of the crew. They respect his opinion, and he fixes Lovey, who's the ship's computer and AI. She's a, what do they call her, a sapient model. Yeah. Um, so she's fully self-aware, self-actualized, mm-hmm. and has the ability to grow and learn. Um, she's basically like the bodiless data, which I really liked. <laughs> I love that. I um, think it was better than the bodiless data because <sighs> yeah. she had more personality than She does. She absolutely does. does. Um, so I really like Lovey. Um, and then we have Sisix, who's our pilot, and she's a... Andrisk. Andrisk, right, which is a reptilian style of person. Reptoid. Whatever. Um, I also like... Uh, Rosemary and Sussex's first meeting where Rosemary's like, she's going to touch me. And then she doesn't because she's been around non-Andrisks for so long. Um, I also, I think that she is probably my favorite simply because, like, she has this, like, kind of slow, quick wit about her where yes. she, she, she says exactly what she's thinking, but she does it in a way that's palatable for the rest of the crew, which I really enjoy. Um, and then we have Kizzy, who's our yeah. mech tech. Yep. Um, so she fixes all the mechanical stuff, uh, which I really enjoy. And then Corbin. Corbin, the algist, because their ships run on algae. How <laughs> great is that? I want an algae-powered car. I want this. I want us to find a way to make algae a system of propulsion. I have a friend at MIT who is working on just that. What timeline? Shoutouts to Jess. What timeline? Oh, I don't know if you've been there. Oh, okay. Well, that's pretty cool. But if if, if having that technology requires personalities like Corbin, I, I don't know if that's the best thing, because he's a dick. That would just be you. <laughs> you would be an algebist. <laughs> oh, my goodness. You hit that square on the nose. I really did. Yeah, you did. I really did. And then we have uh, Dr. Chef. Who is? How much do I love Doctor Chef? I love Doctor Chef. I really want an really expressive good. face like that, where I can just puff out my cheeks and warble <laughs> in five different octaves at once, and that's going to be my laugh. Um, I love that he is a he now, but wasn't always a he. He uh, at some point was a female, and then towards the end of his life will be no gender at all. Yeah, um, which I think is really awesome. And then uh, who am I missing? So he, oh, he's Ohan. A groom. Yeah, a grom. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and then we have Ohan. 
Oh, oh I wanted to mention Dr. Chef's hand oh. feet. Yes, I love the hand, hand feet. feet. Hand feet. I love hand feet. I, have, I like, want hand feet. I mean, my feet do kind of look like hands. I have long toes. That's weird. Um, I, I pick up a lot of things with my toes. So do I. I don't yeah. know if it's just because we hang out with, like, monkeys. It's a feature, not a bug. <laughs> I love you. I love you. Um, and then we have Ohan, who is the navigator. Um, and Ohan is they. And I really actually, there's a, it's very early on in the book, and Rosemary is in say, the kitchen. And it makes me so happy, and I love it. They're eating their first dinner together as a crew. And because Ohan's gender has never been established, uh, established Rosemary immediately goes for gender neutral Zizer. Which I think is amazing. And for those of you not familiar, uh, gender-neutral pronouns in the English language uh, has been uh, contested. And right now, the most popular version that I have heard of is Z and Zer, spelled with an X. Uh, or instead Z. Of, yeah. or it, I've seen it with a Z, but more frequently I've seen it with an X. Yeah, I, I don't really think whatever. it matters. Or it hasn't really been codified. Just like Well, that, right. was, that was created yeah. in the 60s. <laughs> That was actually how yep. long ago that was created. So it's, yeah, X-E or X-Y-R or Z and Z. Yep, and then also singular they, which was mm-hmm. recently, I yes. think on this timeline, added to the Oxford English Dictionary. Awesome. Which is really cool. Um, but because... It goes parallel with something, uh, a movement in Mandarin-speaking countries, where they have just ta for all he and she... Uh, which is gender neutral, but then there's a feminist movement saying that they want differentiation. Interesting. So I love that we're coming to the same place from very different sides, and we're coming to very different conclusions. And I love the mixing and the you know you do you boo boo, but <laughs> Z and Zer just tickled my fancy. Uh, well, so she she refers to Ohan as Z. I think she asks where Z is. Yes. And she's immediately corrected that no, it's not Z or Zer, it's they, plural, because Ohan is a bonded pair with this, I guess, a virus, um, which is really cool. <laughs> um, I really like all of the crew. I had an immediate connection with every single one of them. I mean, just their introductions. The second chapter is Ashby, and he's talking about Corbin coming into his office all up in arms about Sussex for something, and he starts talking about um, he's trying to hold in his laughter because the last time Jenks got a hold of his scrib, he changed all of his algae notes to naked pictures of himself. Um, and then we have the Wayfarer itself, the ship, um, which even apart from Lovey, I think is is her like is its own entity because it's been totally pieced together mm-hmm. by this family because um, that's what they are. They go yeah. beyond friends. They go beyond coworkers and shipmates. I mean, this is a a family, which does take this very Firefly esque, which it is does. very cool considering that the author had not when she first started the. The, writing this, uh, I'd never seen Firefly. <laughs> and, that, and that comes up a lot, and it's something that I, I've seen multiple times that the author has addressed in interviews because um, a lot of people, like, the very first thing that most people catch on and try and link together is Kizzy with Kaylee from oh, yeah, Firefly. Oh, yes. yeah, the, the, the technical yes. female mechanic sort of thing. And there are similarities between the characters, but there's also, I feel, huge differences between their characters. Yeah, Kizzy absolutely. is a much more mature. Uh, character in some ways she's still 
you know, I don't know, she was cell. a little, like, psychedelic uh, helium on, like, mm-hmm. sugar frog. Kissy? Yeah, Kissy? but I just saw it, like... Well, Kissy's always smoking smash. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I could see, like, her being maybe, like, Kaylee from Firefly in, like, 20 years down the track when, you know, she's had a lot more life experience and things. Because that's where I feel like Kizzy is... She's still very, like, flighty and fun and all sorts of... Um, Bonkers. Yeah. But she also has a lot more worldliness to herself. Where yeah. I felt that Kaylee and Firefly did not at that point. So I could see the similarities, but there's definitely some big differences. And I'll give it... Na- your Kay- Kaylee was more naive. Yeah, that, that's okay. yeah she I'll was a you, younger I'll give you that. Character, and I just felt, Kizzy felt young to me. I felt she was like in her 40s or No, something. I got really like young vibes from Kizzy, mostly because of the way that she interacts with other people, which we won't talk about yet. Mm-hmm. But her... And over-enthusiasm is very childlike. Yeah. And I would have a hard time picturing Kizzy as any older than maybe late 20s. Mm-hmm. Um, but, of course, in space-time, they're punching yeah. holes in space-time continuum. So, really, their age is totally a non-factor at this point because they could be 100 for all we know. In in what? Right. Yeah. In souls or in standards or whatever. I mean, you would, you would never know. Because, I mean, if they ever... Yeah. Where yeah. are you in your species timeline? Um, the other really cool thing was all of the, the species um, for the Galactic Commons, which I thought were really cool. Yes. Um, so there's the slug, the mollusk guys, uh, Hermogians. Yeah. Um, and then, oh, my goodness. So Rosemary was such a smart choice because she speaks the language. Hand-tell. Her Yes. With oh, her. Oh, my goodness. Hands as... I really wish that we did film this so that you could see what uh, Wei and I did just now because it was hysterical. We waved our chin tentacles Why at each other. Why not We got a little Cthulhu vibe going over here. Cthulhu 2016, better than Trump. No. Um, <laughs> um, so we have Hermogians. Um, we have uh, Andrisks. Eluans. Um, Am I pronouncing that correctly? Eluans. Eluans. The really pretty, sexy ones. Eluans. The L was after the the U. It's Eluans. I'm gonna find that. Um, Yes. I listened to the audiobook in addition to reading it. (laughs) Eluans. With the lights and colors on their faces. Yeah, and and um, the voice thing. Yep. They have talk boxes. Oh, and. The one section where they were discussing a um, an old battle between two different races and how they exploited uh, different abilities of the other race, where yeah. one can see an infrared and one can't. So uh, all we did was turn out the lights and massacred. It was like, oh, oh my. Right, because they were getting silently attacked. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's yeah. right. I so totally was, forgot uh, about that. It was really jarring to think about just the interstellar war <laughs> <laughs> right right um and then there's okay so we have aliens we have andrisks um we have humans of course which are not they're not on the same they're not founders of the galactic Commons. right there was another species um uh there were multiple is it there was well, some what's ohan too. Ohan is a Cianat pair. Yes, yeah, uh, yes, that's right. And then um, we have the the job. Can we talk about the job? Is that too I don't know, far? We're we're, uh, we're supposed to be teasing. Yeah, 
I know we... You, I don't think we should talk about the job yet. Yeah, you and I usually just jump right in. We're a little kizzy in that way. We're, we're yeah. head first, cowabunga. How about, how about we talk about how the book is written? Okay. The style. I love it. I love it so much. But I am also the... Like, I enjoyed A Song of Ice and Fire, and it's written in a similar way, where it's very, like, um, here's this one character, here's this other character, here's this other character. The difference is, is that a lot of A Song of Ice and Fire is happening simultaneously, mm-hmm. um, whereas this one is, it's one character gets an episode, yep. and then the next episode, and then the next episode. I was thinking the word episodic. Very yes, much so for re- while reading this book and how some people would probably find that jarring and a little disorienting. I liked it. I no, liked I that liked the author that. trusted me to remember. Uh, oh, we mentioned earlier in the chapter that we were going to be going to this planet to be doing this thing. And now this next episode, we've already been there and we've already done that. And here's a scene that's happening as a result with different characters but that's how it was affecting them and I liked that I liked that it continued the story but it wasn't just a continuous stream you had to pay attention a little bit I like that too um the other thing that just some social commentary is that so queerness doesn't seem to be an issue there are species who change genders and that's not even looked at like it's it's not a not an issue um but that kind of like society needs a scapegoat has per- continued to progress so instead of it now being queerness is the wrong thing it's interspecial relations and giving uh, like who gets a body who gets to have a body um there's no androids it's mm-hmm. ais and sapient life mm-hmm. um that were given a body at birth and then there's jinx's friend that they meet at the port pretty early on who is, like, the epitome of Jean tweaked. Yep. Like, everything about her is tweaked. Pepper. Pepper, yeah. Um, and But she's also super frowned on, even though tweaking is acceptable. Mm-hmm. There's, like, a level of tweaking that's allowed. Um, nobody really looks twice at Jenks for his tattoos, just his stature. Mm-hmm. Um, because with Jean tweaking, that's not really an issue anymore. Um I, I really liked that. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed um, that. And I also like the little, um, like, little bits of humor thrown in there, like them eating bugs and Rosemary being like, um, right. um because she's lived on Mars. She yep. never had to eat bugs. She had beef. She lived down on the farm. Yeah, she did. And not that grown. Actual bovine beef. Yeah. And um, eating meat was kind of a, ew, why would you do that? And mm-hmm. it really gave me some perspective on eating meat because I was also raised in a meat and potatoes kind of place. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah. It was especially interesting that the reptilians were vegetarians, mm-hmm. that they uh, eschewed meat, which is very odd to were like to to earth um, reptiles, but that was a really good thing. And so she took that, and she actually did mention there that when Sissix is like, "No, those things that you have back on Earth, they're nothing like us." That she took the idea, but took it in a different way and away from that. And was, mm-hmm. I like that. Um, and then the other thing that I like is just the little kizzyisms, like happy tea and boring tea. Yes, <laughs> um, I thought that was a really adorable. Um, and then. Um, what was the other kizzyism that was hysterical? It's making me. Laugh I don't know, but so one thing that much. I really bonded with: uh, Jenks will listen to an AI 
uh, finish their even if they're not even if they're it. not yep yeah we'll I listen really to like the entire too. message I am that way with say thank I, you with telephone IVRs I do the same things I feel guilty because I know it takes someone so long to program that <laughs> uh, I come from a different perspective on that but I thank my microwave and I thank the elevator and now I'm announcing that to the world so yeah I'm that weirdo but uh, I appreciate that that elevator did not plummet me to my squishy demise you should hear what she says to the toaster we have a special connection and don't you dare besmirch that <laughs> somebody watched too much red dwarf um, <laughs> <It's my kids. laughs> and that's why we keep you around slarty <laughs> Uh, shall we move on to Broken Monster? I wasn't finished yet. Yeah. Oh, oh, no. Oh, yeah, we did kind of dominate this conversation. We should let Slardy have his thing. <laughs> so I guess. In, in the spirit of gender equality. Yes, so, he gets one third. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> so, you know, uh, it kind of loops back to the whole Firefly thing, but I feel I can see where this book has a lot of its origins. We've, we've talked about there are little references to all sorts of uh, sci-fi and, and fantasy um, books and movies and series <laughs> and so there's this references to Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy Cricket there are references to Star Trek Sussex there's little hints of there's uh, one of the main characters is Corbin which could be a, a reference Dallas. to the fifth element more um, deep are you do you identify as human uh, negative I, I am, am a meat popsicle, popsicle. <laughs> <laughs> but where I actually see this is I really feel that this is a book set in the Mass Effect universe yeah yeah I could totally see that um like Ooh. some people may not have played the Mass Effect series go play it now and <laughs> especially with the patchwork ship, I could totally see that. Especially since Becky Chambers used to be, and I think she still does on the side, a blogger about video games. Yeah. Um, that is that was where she started her writing. Is she has a very big past with video games. She's played lots of things like Mist and and those sorts of things. And I read her a essay she wrote on Mass Effect, and I can definitely see so much of that universe in this. This is like. When you're flying the Normandy, this is that little ship that's parked beside you at the dock. That is who this this is. And I just kept seeing that and loved that because that game series is all about interspecies relationships in both sexual and non-sexual ways. <laughs> brown chicken, brown cow. <laughs> all different sorts uh, of things. Well, I wasn't going to play Mass Effect before, but I'm yeah, definitely going to play Mass Effect. It was set in a universe <laughs> where... on my Game Boy. <laughs> <laughs> genders could go everywhere and you know there was no set it was not a heterosexual universe and it was whatever you wanted to be universe and this book feels like that and it's so i can be with my toaster yes Woo! and what i really liked about this book as well is that none of that stuff to me felt forced some people say that it felt forced and i really don't see where they were going with that because to me everything in the book felt organic yeah it just felt there was no need to discuss in depth certain things because well, that's just how it is and that's how it should be it's, it's things shouldn't need to be shoved in your face they for it to exist in a perfect hopefully future world where we come from you don't have to talk about these things in every detail because you just accept that's how it is um i honestly think is i'm pretty sure every single character in this book is a non uh white cis 
person because I'm pretty sure even the humans are all people of color because um, well, they yeah, do they mention discuss that they do mention that uh, at one point I think we can say this that a a a non character just someone who mentions things does say that oh you're more brown than than this uh, than oh, this well, person so the why other... is that and so that's a really thing that, that yeah there is um, no well because when you're on a fleet ship. And there's people of all races. I mean, you're on a multi-generational ship. Mm-hmm. You're all going to fuck everybody else. And eventually the skin tone drops to caramel. Like, as if you take someone who's heavy melanin and someone who's super pale, <coughs> Corbin, um, what you get is this kind of, like, light caramel Mediterranean mocha look. Yeah. And so it makes sense for soul people who are all rich in our Mars to be super pale or someone who lived in an orbiter in a one family unit mm-hmm. be super pale while exodens are super dark. Actually, that's like a projected thing. I think we've actually been in that timeline where everyone and we all looked really pale compared to everyone else because they had all just intermingled yes. skin tones forever. I thought the book really did that in a, w- in a way without shoving it in anyone's face. It was just kind of a mentioned thing. Mm-hmm. So you, you had an understanding that it existed, but without having it shoved in your face. Um, I think Chambers also discussed that uh, she was influenced by her parents as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, with astrobiology, I could see a conversation, her mother was an astrobiologist, that a fun conversation between mother and daughter could be about how, you know, what would happen. You know, lather, rinse, repeat, multi-generational starship, and you've got everybody in shades of caramel and mocha and looking delicious. <laughs> So speaking of her parents, it brings me to the last thing that I want to discuss. One of the, the points in this one, and it's more for the, the spoiler one, but uh, just something in this one that it's stuck with, um, with Michael on the forum who, who brought this up and he's definitely right. So Becky Chambers' parents are an astrobiologist and an aerospace engineer. So she was brought up in a very scientific household um, with science all around her and she just made one it was a minor thing but a glaring issue which we briefly referenced earlier which was title locking which was a su- real surprise to get from someone with such a scientific grounding that she she talks about how there is a, a planet that's title locked to a moon and so people who live on the moon go around to the night side of the moon so that they don't have to face the planet and the sun and get the stink the stinky sun or something and that is not how physics works <laughs> um, that is not a tidal locked planet it, it doesn't mean that one side of the moon is permanently in darkness and one side is permanently in light it just means that from the planet you will only ever see one side of the moon because it spins in a way that it aligns with the planet so that as it rotates around the planet, it keeps spinning and keeps that one face towards it, but the other side gets night and day just, well, not exactly the same as normal. Like our moon doesn't have night and day in a 24-hour period. It's actually a 12-week period, but it still gets night and day. Just one side does continually face the planet. That's right. The rest is wrong. <laughs> it's a minor thing, but uh, Michael on the forum brought it up, and he was definitely right about that. Um, so thank you, Michael. So yes, thank you, Michael, and also thank you to to Glyn and uh, Colleen and Mrs. Joseph on other comments that you have made on the forum that have brought up our points about things like the Firefly um, and various other things, and we will 
definitely talk about more in depth some of the other comments you've said in our spoiler episode. So yeah, keep your comments coming. Um, I would also like to mention, I just, um, I found a, a Q&A that uh, Becky Chambers did with uh, a Reddit. Uh, yeah, she's done two AMAs at least on there. Yeah, and um, so they were talking about uh, what her auth- like author influences are, and she mentioned uh, Ursula K, whatever, Left Hand of Darkness, yeah. I found that really hard to believe <laughs> because I really like Becky Chambers' writing style and I threw the left hand of darkness across the room. <laughs> I, I really don't. I, I actually really enjoyed uh, Left Hand Artist and most Ursula Kelly Wynn books. I couldn't get into it. It was like really just overly dry for me. And I like dry. Um, but I do, I can't, I guess I can see it with gender neutrality and that kind of thing. I guess I could get into it. But I was, I did find that surprising. We can stop talking about long way to a small angry planet now. Go to Yes, let's yeah. roll on to Broken Monsters. So this was a an interesting book. Um, we obviously can't say too much now. So this is the second uh, book by Lauren Bucus that the, the group has read. We previously read Zoo City, uh, one of her earlier books. I can't remember where it is in the, the order. Um you know the the first thing that, that that really caught my my attention, and this is probably going to be completely different to Millie and Way, and it's just because I have previously read one of her books, is that the whole thing is set in Detroit, but I constantly read South Africa the whole time. <laughs> I had to keep reminding myself as I saw something like, oh yeah, this is set in Detroit. Well, do we want to give a brief overview of the book? I did. weren't you paying attention earlier? So, to recap again, so Broken Monsters is, how do we put it? Paranormal crime noir. Yeah, it's, it, it is. It's about a criminal mastermind creating violent tableaus in abandoned Detroit warehouses um, in a novel of suspense. So, there's, there's multiple different viewpoints uh, as well. So, it's not from one. We have uh, Detective Gabrielle Vasado from the Detroit Police Department. Her daughter, Layla, and her best friend, Cass. Mm-hmm. We have uh, Thomas Keene, who's a, um, a friend of the homeless and, like, and helps out and assists... Uh, domestically with, challenged. With the domestically challenged, uh, as well as uh, John O'Haim, the freelance journalist who's uh, just moved to Detroit and is trying to break out and, and, and make, his name, make a name for himself. Um, they're the, the main characters who we, who we really see on this, and it's Jono who annoys me the most. I was going to say, I love hating Just on Jono. His name and, and his character. Uh, you brought up something, Slarty, that I did not know, but appreciate even more now having you explain that. Uh, his name. I thought, oh man, here's John with those, you know, as, like, normal and vanilla of a name as John and he's gonna be Jono. Okay, thanks John. But then you brought up that that is more of a, uh, a cultural thing. Yes, uh, you know, in America you tend to um, when you what do you call it, nickname based on a normal name, so you'd take Tim or Timothy and you'd turn it to most likely Timmy. You'd take John or Jonathan and you'd turn it to Johnny and, and Sam to Sammy and things like that. Where in other countries like 
Australia and South Africa, you would actually change it to from John to Jono and Tom to Tomo. Um, you'd go with an O ending. Um, and that's very common way of slanging a name in those countries. So every time I read it, it kept striking me as that's a South African name. That's what a South African would do to the name John, not an American. And it just, because I know she's a South African writer, she's previously written books set in South Africa that I've read, just kept reinforcing every time. Now, this is, this is the first book that I've read of hers, um, and I did know that she's South African, um, but I, having lived in the greater Detroit area, I feel... I didn't get that at all because I feel very strongly that she really captured post-recession Detroit in a way that even people who, even Detroit's native sons, you know, haven't really been able to capture and that there is this huge influx of people like, let's write about this horrible, horrible city without mentioning any of the, like, cultural aftershock that's happened after the, you know, American car industry tanked. Um... I also, there's like, in the very beginning of the book, when you're first talking to TK, right, you first meet TK, who is, by the way, only Tom to his family and Diana, shame on you, Um, he mentions that his sister lives in Flint, and I, like, mentally cringed, I was like, oh, she dead now, (laughs) (laughs) drinking that poison water, Um, I really really like this book mm-hmm. I am I love books that bring like a a physical reaction to myself right like um was uh, Jack Ketchum it, th- this isn't that kind of podcast whoa really. buddy calm down way um so uh like uh, Jack Ketchum wrote a book called off season or something like that and it's like cannibals on an island somewhere right off the coast of Massachusetts Spoiler and alert. I well that's that's what it says on the back cover. Um, and it's not a particularly great book. It's really short. It kind of, like, has this weird arc. But I, I, it earned a place in my physical book bookshelf because I threw up twice when I read that book. Whoa. Like, graphic descriptions to the point that I threw up. In this book, I feel constantly anxious. Uh, like, it, I love you so it's, much that... You praise a book that made you barf twice. Yeah. And it's one of your favorites. It is. Because if someone can make me vomit with words, like, way to go, Betty. And this book is, like, I have broken out in a sweat, like, more than once. I had to, like, take a nervous pee at one point. Like, I... I am, wow, okay, it did not affect me that way. Like, I... Which just makes me really anxious. Like, I think that I, I'm more anxious reading this book than I was when I interviewed with, with you, Slardy, to be on the ship. Like, I I, I, I really... I, it makes me uncomfortable, but I really like it. Like, it's I'm a like, good kind of uncomfortable. Right? It's like okay, sitting yeah. next to your crush on the train. You're like, ah, oh, I'm really uncomfortable, and I'm sweating, but I like this so it's much. It's actually interesting. Like, Sarah on the forum, she did bring up that the, this book, you know, the way it was written, the style, the, the shifting point of views was unsettling but in a good way yeah but it's not even just the way the book's written i mean like there's this these horribly tense relationships that are very resonant with the way that we interact with people that we have to interact with yeah right like i have 
friends that I've known forever that we have nothing in common anymore except that we used to be friends, like really close friends. And that relationship is tense. And talking to them is tense. Yeah. Because I'm like, hey, you remember that time when we were kids and we had a really good time and I know you have a life totally separate from me now, but can we just remember this one thing and I'll just forget that we don't have anything in common for five minutes? And, like, all of our interactions at work, at home, with family – like can be as tense as these ones are and it's by you know grace of our social stamina that they aren't all the time yeah i thought the gabriella's relationship with her daughter just their interactions of you could feel the longing to reach out and then on both ends and then everything that's in the way of that and the the emotional response in the reader, I can only speak for myself, but just that brought up all of my issues with my mom and, and growing up as an angsty teen and how that's even different from today's angsty teens and it, like and all of those friendships and all of your, uh, the teacher relationships and then Clayton with his, you know, in his opening, I don't want to give anything away, just all of those old relationships that come up where you want something so badly but there's something in the way and the emotional detritus that comes after that. Well, and especially when the thing that's in the way is you. Yeah. Right? Like, specifically with Layla, technically, she should be, like, the queen of her school. She's Afro-Latina. She's living in Detroit where most of the population is black in some way. But she's still an outcast because she's herself. And, you know, she desperately wants to go to Hogwarts and she likes to read Shakespeare. And that's mm-hmm. not typical. And I, I really liked that Cass, like, fits in better even though she stands out like a sore thumb. Right. Right? But just because I, I liked that. I mean, like, clearly I hate it for social reasons. But in the context of this book... I really enjoyed that kind of like, why are they even friends? But I really support this friendship. <laughs> like, yeah. um, and then specifically with Clayton, without giving too much away, Clayton from the get-go is like he's trying to make a joke and he makes people uncomfortable. Yep. He tries yeah. to say something and he comes out all kinds of wrong. Like he could say... Like, I imagine Clayton behaving around attractive women the same way that I behave around attractive women. Like, the first time I ever met Wei, I meant to tell her that I thought she was gorgeous, and instead what I said was, do you like bread? Um, (laughs) (laughs) You're going to make me blush. And so, and that's why we're such good friends is because I turned out that she actually really loves the toaster. And so that was, like, the the best thing. That was the best thing I could have said. Um, But in any other given social circumstance, it would have been horrible. And that's just his, that's the reality of his entire life. Yeah. Is do you like bread? Like that's <laughs> always on the wrong foot. Clayton is the, the human embodiment of do you like bread? <laughs> <laughs> I feel this very strongly. <laughs> okay. And TK, I really, really am, am enjoying his character. Um, Jono is so annoying but I also feel like he's vitally annoying mm-hmm. like if he wasn't there to break it up like the parts with Jono are the parts that I get to relax a little mm-hmm. because I'm like okay it's not gonna be too fucked up <laughs> and, <laughs> and honestly he's the kind of person that if something horrible <laughs> happens to him 
you kind of don't feel as bad. You're like, all right, that's that, you know. And the peasants yeah. rejoice. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right? They're like, aww. Like, you're so whiny. Uh, yes. Yes. He, he is. How did he, he even get laid? Uh, well, apparently he's got. George Clooney, he says that he's got George Clooney good old no, man look. he says that. That does mm-hmm. not mean he has that. And I might be the only female on the planet who just, yeah, I'm... Clooney yeah, no, has I'm not, never done... I'm with it. Yep. That's I why we you. love each other so much. Even when he was Dr. Ross on <laughs> ER, I was Noah Wiley, Dr. Carter team... From day one. So maybe it was just the only reason he got laid is because she needed that in the story to... She, she wanted she some sort way. of relatableness. Like, the only reason that I love Jono is because I love Jen. And Jono is the vessel to Jen. Gen Q. Yeah. I really like the Gen Q character. I like that she hits him Get and it, laughs about it. Yes. Like, that's my thing. Yes. She injures him, like, twice in four sentences. And she's just like... <laughs> Which is how I react when I hit people that are annoying. You can ask Slardy if you don't believe me. Yes. Oh, I believe you. 100%. <laughs> <laughs> I but yeah, under Jen, attack. Jen's super... She's super chill. She's super cool. I like that she took him she to... She is good. Uh, taking him when he wants to see some of this you know, tragedy porn of Detroit collapsing. Yeah. That, she, uh, she takes him to an area that... It's got some stacking stones, and it's a secret beach, and it's her Detroit that she's showing him. And yeah, I, she's not just running him through empty car plants. Yeah, or, you know, this is, yeah, more not, not more of this same stuff that you've ever seen. It, and you know what? Maybe it isn't going to be fodder for your listicle, but I kind of want to go with Gen Q. If he, if mm-hmm. freaking Jono can't appreciate it, I want to go hang out with that chick and we'll try to stack and balance some stones together and we'll see where the night takes us. Yeah, no, I'm totally down for that. Also, can we talk about sparkles briefly? Sparkles. Poor sparkles. Poor sparkles. Uh, so Gabrielle has a failed attempt to reach out to Layla and it ends up earning her department partner a horrible nickname and I love everything about that I want bad cop nicknames because it's totally true having known like several police officers in several timelines it doesn't matter if we're in 1940 2016 or 3035 cops have horrible nicknames for each other and Sparkles is the best nickname for a rookie ever <laughs> the next time we hire new people on the ship i'm gonna start calling them twinkle toes and sparkles mm. and princess my favorite <laughs> one was mumblebee if you're out there mumblebee mwah, i miss you Alrighty. i love it i love everything about this i'm so excited to do the next episode yes and Can we like just like just drop back into the time stream really fast like just come out a couple more days so we can keep talking about it now i was really excited the, uh for the what we're reading in this time burp yeah, yeah. really really both good and very different yeah. they, these books are almost polar opposites also can we talk about how both of them pass bechtel makeup glory and lampshade tests they all feature people of color. They all feature, like, this diverse, like, crew. I love this. This is such a nice, refreshing, like, break from Bellend and Vim and fucking Sphere. Like, I, I want more of this. 
I'm willing to read the books you guys say, but I want more of this. Speaking of reading books, though, I would just like to point out that this is the podcast at the end of the universe. Currently, restaurant at the end of the universe, after which Way and myself were named. Hi. Is up for votes. So I am going to use my awesome podcast influence to say, please let's read our book. Let's read Restaurant at the End of the Universe for the sake of your time traveling compatriots and literature. I would, this would really make my whole day. So get on there and vote. It is currently one vote, one vote behind Caliban's War. There is still time in your timeline. We will not jump back in until we've gotten to the, the end of the voting time. But there is still time left for you to get in there and make a difference. So, Caliban's War, and, and it is a good book, but it's not what we named ourselves for. Rock the vote. Yeah, please. <laughs> so, All I right. think the vortex is closing and we need to leave this time. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. All right, Way, let's, uh, let's get back in the stasis pods. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.